I'm not actually a musician. I just know a lot of them and sometimes <laughs> stay at a Holiday Inn Express or something. <laughs> but I have a really cool job. Uh, I'm a paramedic and a nurse, and I work on an air medical helicopter with Corey, actually. <clears throat> on the good days, you may see us when the, when the fire department closes down the highway so that we can land on a big open area and swoop away with someone from a car accident. <clears throat> or you might hear me brag about flying up and enjoying the smooth scenic ride up to base camp on Denali. On the less good days, <laughs> on the less good days, we trust our pilots as we strap in and let them squeeze us into a tiny landing zone on a winding tree-lined tree back road, or get beat around in the wind as we fly off to a rural emergency department to fly away with the sickest of the sick. Ever since I was a 12-year-old kid, for the first time watching a big white medevac helicopter land on the school's ball field, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. And still, after almost 20 years of landing on other people's ball fields and highway intersections, it's just about the only thing that I can see myself doing. But it's dangerous, and that's something that we always remember. There are other professions that have more deaths. Fisheries, logging, firefighters, cops, for sure. But there's a lot more of them, too. There's only about 8,000 people in the US that do what we do. And since 1980, we've killed 407 of them. So I came here tonight to tell you the story of three of those names, my friends, Lance Brabham, John Stumpf, and Cameron Carter, who 10 years and two nights ago, on December 3rd, 2007, another Tuesday night, left us when, when their helicopter, when the helicopter that we shared, fell into the icy waters of Prince William Sound, just outside of Whittier, just after dark, taking them and their patient that was their task and their singular purpose that night. I could spend all the time that I've got and more telling you about each of them, telling you about John, the nurse from New Hampshire that transplanted first to Nome and fell immediately in love with the wild and free Alaskan life. Or about Lance, the gentleman pilot and true scholar who was never satisfied until every detail of a flight was just perfect. Or about Cameron, the bright paramedic, brand new to us, who always had a smile on his face and whose enthusiastic reply to most everything, okay, sweet! was kind of his trademark and known pretty far and wide. Cameron, who would have turned 25 just a few days after their memorial service. I thought that I wanted to spend all my time telling you how their deaths impacted our small team, how every day for the week that the search for a helicopter was ongoing, we'd gather twice a day, like family, and hold hands and hold each other and hope and ask for peace. And how even so, all of us are still haunted because while on the afternoon of the fifth day, they found John and were able to bring his body back to us, but the helicopter was never recovered. And so Lance and Cameron and their patient are still out there somewhere, along with any clues to knowing what might have actually happened out there that night. I wanted to tell you how for me, after a year, I still took walks late at night by myself, cursing at the stars and wondering what cruel twist of scheduling fate meant that it was those guys out there that night and not me and what I had, what I had done to deserve to be spared. And how, how well-meaning folks would come to me and say that they were very sorry for what happened to us, but they were glad that I was safe, because that's what I wanted to hear. How after two years, I would sometimes take icy cold showers, often in the dark, trying to imagine what those last moments were like for them. And how at the three-year mark, Nearly half of our small group's marriages had ended, including my own. But as I worked to put that story together, I realized that now, 10 years and two really dark nights out, the story isn't anymore about the lives that they lost, but it's about how those lives that they lost have changed the ones that we live. 
And so to that end, I wanted to spend my time to try and answer the question that my original version begged. Why is it that you still do this anyway? <laughs> we lead really high-profile work lives, complete with flashing lights and sometimes sirens, but we're not adrenaline junkies. In fact, I've often found that my generally fairly dull personality and calm disposition is a really big help sometimes in just taking a deep breath and taking control of a room and working the problem that's in front of us. But I think what the loss of Lance and John and Cameron really taught me is to not just take that breath, but to really experience the moment and notice all the details that I might not have otherwise, the kind of details that add up to the vivid memories of a career spent in service to others. And, <clears throat> and now it's in those details that I can feel those guys' presence most clearly. One night I'm alone in the emergency room with the family of a man that's nearing the end of his own road, an elder that was found face down in the snow outside his home in the village. Out on the tundra, nothing is easy, and the weather and darkness meant that it was several days before they were able to get him to this small hospital in Bethel. He's unconscious and cold on a ventilator, my IV pump running in medicines to twist his vital signs around to my liking. Blood is leaking into his brain, and it's really only a matter of time. A member of the family approaches me and asks if it would be okay if they offered him a prayer while we waited. Of course, I say, take all the time that you need, and don't be afraid to touch him or talk to him. He can't talk back because of the medicines and the ventilator, but he can hear you. A white lie, almost certainly, but these are moments for the living. I stand quietly as they gather in a circle and join hands and bow teary faces, and though I can understand none of their language, I can tell that their words are clearly a very Catholic prayer and words of hope. These are special moments that I'm privately witness to you out here a thousand miles from anywhere. A different day, back on the helicopter in a different town, I'm walking along the ice road on Big Lake, a few steps behind the stretcher that's being pushed by my partner and the ambulance crew that we just met. One of the crew, a young, eager, brand new EMT, holds tightly onto the breathing tube that I'd just inserted, looking to me occasionally for affirmation as he squeezes in the long, slow breaths that I'd just taught him. I tap him on the shoulder and say, you're doing fine, kid. He smiles really big and says, sweet, thanks. <laughs> we load in the helicopter and as we take off, I get a quick glance to the north and the big mountains are out. And we turn back towards Anchorage and I see my own reflection in the window and behind me, the reflections of Lance and John and Cameron watching over us as they always do. It's been a long road getting here to this point in my career, to this station in life, to the community that we found and back finally to some peace. My life since the accident has been filled, has been decorated with moments like these. Lance and John and Cameron took off into the dark that night, pursuing a job that they loved, but not work that they ever would have wanted to die for. And although I would give anything to have them back, I know that their deaths were not in vain because I know that my life is much better for the legacy that they left behind. I don't know how long it takes for the hurt to stop, but I know this. I'm here today in no small part I'm here today not in spite of the accident, but in no small part because of it. But mostly, I'm here today because I miss my friends. And here I get to see just a little bit of them every day in everything that we see. Thanks for listening.